Well, welcome everyone to Foothills Christian Church. If you're visiting on campus for the first time, we're glad that you're here. If you're watching online for the first time, we are glad that you're here as well. Our church uh, has a specific mission, and that is first we want to connect you to Christ, to community, particularly his community, and then to your mission in life. So people say, well, why the mission in your life portion? Well, because a lot of people are walking around and they have uh, they believe in God, but they have no concept of how God is actually working in their life. And one of the most important parts of discovering that is when you discover your mission in life, because you discover how God works through you and in you. And so that's why it's such an important component. Also, our goal is to see you through this process become more mature in your faith, uh, we're a church. We believe that fluff is just not enough. Uh, we need to understand what we believe, why we believe it, and why it's the truth. And so we kind of try to dig deep on that. And that's why that FH First Steps class, if you want to sign up for it right now, you can by just scanning that QR code, especially if you're watching online, it'll be on your screen and you can kind of uh, scan that QR code. It takes you to registration page. It's, I don't know, about 45 minutes to an hour long. Some of the pastors will be leading it. It's just three weeks long. It gets you started on your journey of faith. So that's a, a important thing to us. And one of the most biggest hindrances to growing our faith, I believe in today's world, is the issue of guilt and our relationship with guilt. Can you have a relationship with guilt? I don't know. A lot of people do. And so last week we jumped into this series called Fresh Start. Uh, my tagline, I like though, pack your bags, we're going on a guilt trip. But uh, this is the kind of guilt trip where you want the airlines to lose your luggage. <laughs> some people laugh at my jokes and some don't. So <laughs> you decide what group you want. Life is full of choices. Uh, last week we dug into this and we kind of laid out what, what is the whole point of guilt in life. And we talked about how human beings have a lot of guilt. A lot, unresolved guilt is very bad for you. It's like, you know, bearing toxic waste in your backyard and you end up, it seeps into your water supply and you grow a third eyeball out the back of your head. It affects your relationships. It affects your, your job. It affects your family. It also affects just your, your perception of your own self. Uh, so it, it has to be resolved at some level. And our society has more guilt now, unresolved guilt, than ever before. Mental health is becoming such a huge issue in our society because we're unable to resolve guilt. And so uh, I laid out the contention that the reason why there's so much more guilt today is because our society has abandoned the Christian approach on how to resolve guilt. So last week I asked everybody in the church and everybody listening online, all, everybody who's new, is I want you to think about your relationship with guilt. Not if you feel guilty, because we all feel guilty, the question is, why do I feel guilty? Why, how does it affect me? Why do I feel guilty at times? And so that was the challenge last week. And this week we're going to go a little bit deeper from that. We're going to go from that level down to a deeper level today. But first, I just want you to understand that sometimes guilt is in different forms. And one of the forms is regret. You know, things we wish we would have done differently, right? And so we asked for volunteers who would give testimonies about the things that they regret, and nobody signed up. Uh, so what we did do is we got people to write down anonymous things, and then other people read their answers. Let's watch. Back in 
They regret not working hard enough in certain aspects of their life, including football and friendship. Destroying relationships because they were too selfish. They haven't quite forgiven their parents. Not accepting themselves for the way they were. Acting selfish and its effects on other people. For falling into a porn addiction. Intentionally or unintentionally hurting others. Not allowing their dad to be a part of their life. For blowing off their old friends. Speaking harsh or untrue words into someone else's life. Yelling at their closest loved ones. For not supporting a friend through a really hard time. Having an addiction to drugs and hurting someone. The one regret that this person has and that they can't forgive themselves about is not being the best that they can be even when they have the choice to. So there you go. A lot of people have a lot of regrets about a lot of things. They tend to revolve around our relationships, particularly family relationships, right? With parents or with siblings or with a spouse or with kids. Uh, a lot of times we have regrets with uh, how we never really applied ourselves or we didn't try as hard or put in the effort or we passed up on a great opportunity. Another place of regrets is that uh, uh, we cut people out of our lives that we shouldn't have. And so what I find really interesting is this, is that last week we said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 7, that God's will for your life is that you be sanctified. And we kind of dug into what that means. And that is, is that before I become a follower of a Christ, a believer, a redeemed person, Jesus calls it born again, made a new creation, How, whatever phrase you want to use, it starts over here. And that is, is that I was in the kingdom of the world, right? So I think this way, I value what you value over here. And then what happens is when I become a follower of Christ, I believe in him. I am then, the Bible sometimes uses the word saved, right? Or I'm born again. I move from death over into what is life or the kingdom of God. Okay, so now I live over here. What's really interesting is, well, what happens once I get over here? And this is called the process of sanctification. And sanctification basically means I am set aside for good use. And that's, a, that's kind of a weird way in that culture of saying what happens is my life develops value, right? My value goes up. Uh, my sense of value to myself and my sense of value to those around me. But, and so God is doing things in me that, that it's like, wow, I am walking and living in the authentic person God wants me to be. So that is called a set aside, right, for value. And one of the things that stops the process of sanctification is unresolved guilt. And what's really interesting is how many Christian people I know today who are like, well, I, I, I gave my life to Christ or I got saved, but you know, I'm really pretty miserable right now. No, I'm pretty miserable. Uh, nothing's going right for me. Life is terrible. I, I'm not, you know, my, my relationship status is unchanged and I don't like that. Or I'm not happy with the state of my marriage or the footing it's on. I'm really disappointed in some of the Choices my kids are making. Oh, my job. Don't get me started on my job or my career or, or how it's going. I, I'm just, I'm really miserable about that. And then uh, there's a lot of people that say, I just carry, I have a habitual sins that I just can't get over. You know, I used to go to God and pray and say, God, you know, help me get over this thing. And oops, God, I did it again. Would you please forgive me? And oops, God, I did it again. So now when I pray, I just go ditto from the night before. You know, people feel this way. And so I'm at, hmm, what's going on? And so I, I came up with this question is, what should your relationship be with guilt 
as a follower of Christ. Is following Christ designed to make you feel more guilty or less guilty? Well, we have to turn to the Bible and we have to lay down some very important doctrinal principles to see, okay? So let's start. We're going to kind of, we're going to race through the Bible here. We're going to read a lot of Bible verses. These are all written down in the message notes. You can get those notes off the, the, the app on your phone. Uh, later on, they show sometime during the week, they pop up on the website, but uh, they will also be up on the screen for you too. So if you want to take your phone out and take pictures of them as they are up on the screens, that's fine as well. But I want to start with chapter 8 of the book of Romans, all right, which is a really heavy-duty book about what salvation does to you, right? It's really interesting how powerful it is. But look at what he says in verse 1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. So Paul says there is no condemnation at all for those who are in Christ. How? How does this work? He says, well, because there was a law. And if you remember last week, we said guilt is an emotional reflex to whenever I feel I have violated or not lived up to the law, the standard. It may be my own personal standard, that I, my own expectations of myself, or it could be an objective one. It doesn't matter. Whenever I violate that or don't live up to it, guess what? I feel guilty. Okay, I feel that way. It's an emotional response to this gap in your life. And Paul says that when you come to Christ, guess what? This gap is based on the law of sin and death. And what happens is that when you are in Christ, so I left the kingdom of this world. I live in the kingdom of God. And so I have left that. And now I have the spirit of life in Christ Jesus. And he has set me free from that. So condemnation, what, is the belief that I am not doing what I should do. I'm not living up to it. It's the belief that I'm not enough. It's a belief that my life doesn't have any value. It's a belief that I uh, uh, am a mistake. I am an accident. It's a belief that uh, nobody could ever love me or want me. Or, oh my goodness, if you knew all the stuff that I did, if I showed up at a church, the roof would fall in on me kind of a thing. And then you, you don't want to correct them and say, well, actually, that's just the house for the church. You know, the church is actually people. So I don't think people are going to dogpile you when you walk in because that's how they, the church would fall on you. Most people are like, okay, I don't quite get that. Paul says there's now no condemnation for all those who are in Christ Jesus. There are no. There is none. It's, it's all gone. Now, let's jump over to 2 Corinthians chapter uh, um, 7. And he's, what's happening over here in this chapter is really interesting is that in, in the first chapter, uh, or excuse me, in the first book, 1 Corinthians, Paul writes the, the church there and he says, you know what? You guys are tolerating some stuff you really shouldn't tolerate. You're really doing a bad job. I want you to get your act together. And so they get really sorrowful about it. They feel really guilty about it. They get really thinking. So what, is, what happens is then they make some changes. And so Paul writes them back and he says something really interesting in uh, verse 7, chapter 10. He says, 
Godly sorrow, or let's use the word guilt because they're kind of synonymous here. Godly guilt brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. That's really important. It leaves no regret. I'm, I, you, you really need to think about this for a second. But worldly sorrow brings death. So there are two types of sorrow, right? There's worldly sorrow, and he says there's kingdom sorrow. Now, so everybody feels sorrow. Everybody feels guilt. We all have it. But what's really interesting is that people who have worldly guilt end up with stuff that kills them. They have shame. They carry this unresolved guilt, and it infects all kinds of stuff. It really digs at them. And then they have, like the video says, regret. Right? They regret what they did or didn't do all those years ago. But other people in the kingdom of God, they experience godly sorrow. And what's interesting is it doesn't lead to regret. How in the world does that happen? So worldly sorrow leads to regret. Godly sorrow, and he says it right there, leads to no regret. So if I am over here, then I am freed from worldly regret. I am freed from worldly uh, death and the sorrow that it brings and just all of this ickiness, shame. I'm freed from that. Now let's jump over to Colossians uh, chapter 2, though. And uh, Paul is once again writing and he's talking about this thing that makes us feel guilty and where it comes from before we're in the kingdom of God. In, in verse 13, I, I have verse, uh, uh, this is Colossians chapter 2, beginning with, uh, what is that? Verse 13. I'm gonna, uh, 14 should be up there, but I'm going to read 13 just to give you a little context. Because notice what he says. He goes, prior to living in the kingdom of God, verse 13, he says, you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh. So you were dead. Then he says this, but in Christ, God made you alive. He forgives all of your sins. So what this means is that means that if you lived a relatively good life and you never made any big mistakes, maybe you stole some cookies or you played hooky from class, or maybe what you did is you did some speeding more than just 10 miles over, you know, because if you're under 10 miles, it's one level and, and you do a little bit of that and you only tell white lies to your wife, then Jesus died for those sins. But if you do the really, really big ones, well, you better carry those with you for the rest of your life and feel guilty about it. That's what that verse means, right? No. What it means is he forgave what? All. I don't know in your book, but in my book, the English word for all means all. And I'm not a Texan talking about the black stuff coming out of the ground. All. I'm not talking about that. See, you got one of my jokes. I'm so happy. No. <laughs> verse 13. How is it that he forgives all of our sins? How does he do it? How is it that everything, everything that has a potential to make you feel regret? He says, he canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. What did Romans 8 say? There is now no condemnation. And here he says, look, this is 
This is the stuff that condemned you. He took it all away, and my favorite phrase, nailed it to the cross. So that's why the sign of death becomes the sign of life for those who live in the kingdom of God. You see, when they become redeemed, it's like he nailed it to the cross. And that is such a powerful thing. I'm not supposed to live with all this regret and this shame because God doesn't want me to live in the kingdom of the world. He wants me to live where? In the, his kingdom here right now. If you either, uh, if we're going to flip over to Hebrews, Hebrews is really a fascinating book. Um, uh, it's the most complicated Greek in the New Testament. It's considered, it's when, when you're studying in translation, this Hebrews translation is the last one you do because the language is so complex and high-minded. It's a real high level. It's like the Shakespeare of Greek, I guess. I don't know. You know, you read the words that are English and go, what in the world is he talking about? <laughs> I have no idea. But in Hebrews, the book was written for this purpose, and that is in 67 AD, just prior to that, is the Jews rebelled against Rome again, and the Roman emperor said, okay, I'm sick of this. I'm sending my son, General Titus, down there, and he says to his son, I want you to go down there, and I want you to destroy Jerusalem. I'm so sick and tired of these Jewish people. I don't want you to leave one stone unturned. So he goes down there. He actually besieges the city for three years, and he starves them to death, okay? He just puts a vice grip around that thing. He, three years later, they don't have anything. And so the people that were following Jesus in the city of uh, Jerusalem at that time, they came up with this idea. And that is, well, you know, when you read the Old Testament, God would come in and save the Israelites, you know. Remember that time he killed the 180,000 Assyrians, you know. And you remember the story of Gideon and he freaked them all out. He goes, if we return to the old covenant, guess what? God's going to come in and save us. And so the writer of Hebrews writes to the people who are thinking that, say, and he basically says, that's a really bad idea. And this is why, okay? Because the old covenant can't do what the new covenant can do. And what does the new covenant do? Chapter 8, verse 12. Now he's reading from a prophecy of Jeremiah, and he's saying Jeremiah actually prophesied that this would happen one day. And what would happen? He says, I will forgive their wickedness and I will remember their sins no more. So if you're a follower of Christ and you're living in the kingdom of God and you're sitting there and you're thinking, man, God, all those years ago, I did this, I did that, and you keep bringing it back up because you have regret. What has God done? He remembers their sins no more. If you flip over to chapter 10, verse 22, he says, because of this, let us draw near. Let us draw near with a true heart. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. Full assurance that the faith brings having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a what? Guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So what is your relationship with guilt as a follower of Christ living in the kingdom of God? It's not supposed to be one that fans the flames of it, encourages it or grows it but to heal from it 
and get over it. That's God's will. When you come in from the world's kingdom, you are redeemed and you are now in God's kingdom. And now that you are here, you are in the process called sanctification. And sanctification is being purified for good service, which means my value is increasing. This is God's plan for your life. It is to change your relationship with guilt so that it has no influence over your faith. So that when I experience sorrow, it's not worldly sorrow that leads to death, shame, and regret. It is what? Godly sorrow that leads to repentance, which results in what? No regret. It's always resolved. And that is what it means to grow mature in the faith. And your life is totally different. It totally changes in ways you could never imagine. You suddenly find courage you never had before. Your confidence goes to places you know, and joy. It becomes a wellspring in your life that just bubbles out. I mean, you just can't contain it. So the next question is this. How do I know that I'm living in the kingdom of God, but I still think like I'm living in the kingdom of the world? How do I know that I still have unresolved guilt that isn't getting resolved and it's influencing my life? Well, you know what's really interesting is the Bible talks about this quite a lot. And now when I go through these, I want to point out, and by the way, I just had so many Bible verses today, I had to have two Bibles, you know? I mean, come on. Is We're in Ephesians chapter 4, and what's really interesting is he lists a lot of behaviors that we have. And what I find so fascinating is most people will read these things and they always read them for somebody else. They always read them from the standpoint that, oh, I need, oh, this is what these people are doing so that I understand what they're doing. But what if just for today's thing is that you read them as they were intended and that is you read them for yourself. And you read them for yourself, right? Not because you want worldly sorrow that brings what? Death. You want worldly, uh, not worldly, but godly sorrow that leads to what? No regret. So use these things as signs. And what are these signs? Okay. Well, in Ephesians 4.19, he says, now there are people, they become calloused. Now, does he mean the callous on your hand or your foot from not wearing? No. He's talking about the callous on your heart against your conscience. He says, they become callous. So they give themselves over to sensuality for the practice of every kind of impurity and they do it greedily or with greediness. So they, they go after that full bore. So how do you know that you have unresolved guilt in your life? Is that you participate in risky behavior. Maybe you party too much, you drink too much, you do the other stuff too much, you just, and you want to do more of it. You don't feel alive, you don't feel, you don't feel, you know, uh, unless you're doing something risky. Why? Because it's, it's, it's illegal or it's not right, you know. If you're doing that, then that might be because if you're really prone to that, it's not that you're just an adrenaline junkie. It might be that you have some unresolved guilt as a follower of Christ. The second one in verse 25 of the same chapter, Ephesians 4, is defensiveness. You know what's really interesting is defensiveness is something really easy to see in other people, especially if you're a mom and you have kids, right? You're, you know, your kids, your kids walk into the kitchen, your mom, and you look over there, you look at them, and in three seconds you go, okay, what'd you do? 
right? What'd you do? So we see defensiveness in other people. But what happens when you're defensive? When you feel like, I always have to explain, I always have to defend, I always have to feel. Well, that might be a sign of some type of unresolved guilt deep in your soul. He says in verse uh, 25, he says, therefore lay aside falsehood and speak truth, each one of you. What does it mean to speak truth? Here's he saying, oh, you need to tell people the right facts. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying, you need to lay aside the falsehoods that you tell yourself. Be honest with yourself and those around you. So when you're honest with yourself, you don't have to be defensive anymore. Okay. Uh, The third one is this. This is a big one. It's called gossip. Do you participate in gossip? Now, it's really interesting because there's some misdefinitions of gossip, okay? Now, gossip is not talking about other people, okay? Because if it was, then anytime parents talked about their kids, they'd be gossiping. And what do parents almost always talk about? Their kids, right? So that's not what it is. Sharing facts about other people and their lives, that's not gossip, okay? That's called conversation, Gossip is when you share stuff about other people with the, with the intent of undermining their reputation or tearing them down. Case of point, hey, Tom moved to Texas. Oh, really? Why did he move to Texas? Not sure. Maybe got a new job, but we hope Tom's going to do great in Texas. Yeah, I'm glad I know that now Tom has moved to Texas. Versus, did you know Tom moved to Texas? no. I didn't know that Tom moved to Texas. Why did he move to Texas? Well, I'm not sure. I don't have all the facts, but the T is that Tom... No. Yes. That is gossip. Which one are you? Which one are you? Don't tell, don't, don't be, uh, you know, elbowing your spouse right now. Don't be doing that. This is for you. Read it for yourself. Uh, here, here's something else. It's really interesting. If you go back into Proverbs uh, chapter six, there, there's a few verses in here that I read long, 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 long time ago that have always had a real powerful impact on me. Verses 16 through 19. And it says, there are six things which the Lord hates, seven, which are an abomination unto him. I'm like, whoa, abomination, man. That's Old Testament apocalyptic stuff. That's a big word. It's got a lot of syllables in it. And it starts with an A. That's how you know it's heavy. Abomination to him. And it's really interesting because one of the things in there is this in verse 19. One who spreads strife among people. One who creates division. This is called, in today's world, office politics. If you've been in an office with more than 20 or 30 people, there's always what? Clicks and they're always talking about, well, you know, accounting is, is really upset with all of those uh, salespeople because those salespeople have got it in for us. And we got it in for them, right? And you're thinking, this, it's office politics. You know what being divisive is? It's creating a, a choice, a binary choice, and then recruiting people to your side. I'm right, and people should think and agree with me so that we can go to war. You know, what are you going to do? Well, we're going to get our pencil erasers and our, our calculators and, and numbers machines, and we're going to go down there, and we're going to wreak havoc on those salespeople. <laughs> Have you ever been to a family reunion? Why are family reunions, big family reunions, so weird? 
because there's generations of this stuff that have gone on, you know? Well, we don't like aunt whatever or uncle whoever or cousin this, why? Well, because, you know, there's a divisive battle from, you know, four generations ago. Well, you know, he fought for the Confederacy. I'm not saying anything more. See, but this happens in neighborhoods. It happens in churches all the time. Another thing that says you might have unresolved guilt in your life is called blaming. Blaming is when you're always looking for somebody else or a situation to explain away why you're so unhappy. Okay? It's interesting because a lot of times our, our tendency to blame is connected to regret, and regret often comes from our inability to forgive ourselves. But what, is, what does uh, Paul tell us in Ephesians 4? Let uh, no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such a word that is good for edification. When you're blaming other people for stuff, there's nothing edifying about it. It doesn't help you in any way, shape, or form. Another way that we uh, might have unresolved guilt in our life is, so, is we feel like a victim. This, this one is really fascinating to me because this kingdom of the world is all about being a victim. Why? Because you are. Then you move over here and what happens in the kingdom of God? Jesus Christ says the power of the resurrection has freed you. The power of the resurrection. So it's not your power, it's not my power. It's the power of the risen Jesus Christ. I don't know about you, but when you boil it all down and I have to make a choice, I'm choosing the guy who rose from the dead. I put my, I put my cards there. So that's what, the, all of that power that has freed me. And yet what's interesting is people who know Christ who have been asked to live in the kingdom of God, feel like a victim. Isn't that interesting? In 1 John chapter 5, verse 5, it says this, Who is the one who overcomes the world, but he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? And in verse 4, right before that, it says, The victory that has overcome the world is our faith. How can you be a, feel like a victim when your faith that has brought you salvation with the power of the resurrection and has promised you to give you the victory to overcome? That's like being said, you've already won the game. Now I'm going to figure out how I can lose it. It doesn't make any sense. It's like being a spiritual contortionist. It just, they don't work because the promise is what? I've overcome the world. Now, I may not have figured it out yet, and there's suffering, and there's problems, there's issues here, but in the end, I have to know that my belief in the resurrected power of Christ has already made me an overcomer. And I need to figure out how to walk with it. These things are designed. Risky behavior, defensiveness, gossip, being divisive, blaming, feeling like a victim. Uh, the last one. Bearing false witness. 
Bearing false witness, most people think is uh, like you're on law and order, you know, dum, dum, you're on that show and you go up, put your hand on the Bible and you say, and then, you know, I'm not going to perjure myself in front of a court of law, you know, and you're saying, well, I've never borne false witness. And yet that's not what the Bible's talking about at all. You know what bearing false witness is? Bearing false witnesses is forming an opinion without the facts or evidence. Gossip loves that. Why did Tom move to Texas? All you got to do is go. And everybody fills in the blanks. See, what happens is bearing false witness is when you form an opinion without all the evidence, without all the facts, and when do you have all the facts? And what's interesting is our media loves to manipulate us by giving you only the facts that they want you to have, right, to get you to come to a conclusion. They do it all the time. It drives you crazy, Right? So now we don't trust the press anymore. We don't trust the media. They, they say something and we're always thinking, oh yeah, well, what don't I know, right? There's going to be some truth in there that is going to come out and it always does. So these things, risky behavior, defensiveness, gossip, being divisive, blaming, feeling like a victim or bearing false witness, use these things to evaluate yourself, not from worldly sorrow because that always makes you feel what? Guilty. But from godly sorrow, which allows you to evaluate yourself without feeling guilty. It sets you free. Why? Because when you are healing from unresolved guilt, you are growing to maturity and things start to happen. So let me bring all this together in this specific way. And that is, in order to change your relationship with guilt, you have to take one step deeper. You have to go deeper into your soul and you have to ask yourself, what did God actually do to me when he saved me? Most people say, oh, you know what? Is God saved me? Jesus saved me from my sins. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Well, you know, I don't feel bad about stealing bubble gum when I was in the seventh grade. No, no, no. That save you from your sins is the beginning of the process of sanctification. What does it actually mean? What does this mean? Salvation is the work of redemption. The, word, the, the scriptures call it born again, uh, made a new creation, brought from death to life, adopted into the family of God, entering into the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. It uses this terminology a lot. And the basic knowledge is this, is that salvation moves me from the kingdom of this world into the kingdom of God. And now the process of, of sanctification begins. And that means God starts to redeem every area of my life in order that my, I'm useful, right? My value continues to grow. My maturity grows my wisdom grows, my confidence grows, my courage grows, most importantly, my love grows. And when that happens, this process of sanctification, this moving from the world to the kingdom of God, it changes everything, like your relationships, for instance. It radically changes them. There was this guy many years ago, his name was Jonathan, and he was a self-professed people pleaser. And he said, you know, it totally ruined his life. It's like, I can't say no to my, my mom and my dad. They're divorced and they're still fighting each other. I can't say no to her. I can't say no to him. I can't say no to any of my family, you know. I'm pulled in eight different directions. I, I'm, I'm always pleasing my friends. I please my boss. I please all these people. And I'm just the most miserable person that you could ever imagine. 
And then what happened is he came to Christ and he moved from the kingdom of this world and he moved into the kingdom of heaven. And you know what he said? He goes, finally, I, I began to see that I had developed because of a guilty conscience, this incredible need to be accepted. So I couldn't say no. He goes, over here, what I found is that I'd actually been given the spiritual gift of transcendence. And that what, what, I, what I am really, e I can do just easily is I can walk in the shoes of all the people around me and see life from their perspective without any problem. But you know what happened? Satan used it to manipulate and control me and destroy my life. And it wasn't until God redeemed that that I discovered that I can love people, I value people, but I'm not controlled by their expectations anymore. I can't be manipulated by them anymore. I am free. Your relationship with work changes. Martha, she would say, boy, I was a workaholic on steroids, right? She lived in the kingdom of this world, and then she comes to know Christ. She starts living in the kingdom and says, it wasn't that I, I knew I was saved, but I still worked all the time. I did everything that I was asked, plus 20% on top. I always wanted to do more, exceed their expectations. I took on every project. I tried to do everything, and she just worked, 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 worked. And she says, but it wasn't until I became a follower of Christ, I started living over here. It's, I knew I'd say, but now God started to redeem this in my life until what I realized I was being manipulated by this unresolved guilt that told me I wasn't of value unless I was making a contribution. She says, now I love to work. I love to be productive. I love to create value, be on a team, make a contribution. But guess what? It doesn't control me. It isn't the measure of my value. It doesn't produce worry or anxiety. Wouldn't you love a job like that that creates zero worry and zero anxiety in your life? She says, I am now free. Another big area that it really impacts is that it, it changes your relationship with sexuality. A young man, made nameless, started looking at porn when he was in college, and it, it was a big problem for him. It kind of eased off a little bit when he met this gal. They get married, but then about five years in, they start having kids, and he starts, comes back up in his life, and he starts using it all the time. It's destroying everything, um, and he knows it is, and he says, I went to every single program. I read every single book. I asked people to tell me what to do to try to get freedom from this, and I could never, ever do it. Never, ever happened until I finally went deep into my soul and answered the question, why? What's going on in my soul that I feel so guilty about that I cannot find freedom from this? And he said, when that happened was the beginning when I found freedom from this thing. And you see, the issue is your relationship with sexuality changes. You can enjoy it in the right context. You suddenly understand the importance of context and why context is such a big deal, right? Why is it such a big deal? Because if you don't have the right context, then Satan uses it to control you. And you can, you can be defined by it. Most of our regrets and our shame revolve around our sexual mistakes. 
or our sexual drives. And what happens is when we live over here and we're in the process of sanctification, we are being what? Redeemed from that. But most importantly, you know the thing that really changes in your life is your relationship with yourself. Your relationship with yourself. You see, when you're here, you discover who you're actually meant to be. Your real self. The authentic self. Who you are in Christ. It becomes clear. And it's now more realistic than it ever was before. And once you know who you are meant to be, remember the worldly sorrow and the godly sorrow? What does worldly sorrow produce? Death. What does godly sorrow produce? Change without regret. No guilt. Once you know who you're meant to be, guess what? In Christ, it's super easy to accept what you aren't right now. It's easy to confess your sins one to another. And thus fulfill the law of Christ. It's easy to love and accept people. It's easy for you because it's like, I can accept the fact that I am so incomplete, such a mess at times. But guess what? I can accept it where I am right now in Christ without feeling guilty. And that, my friends, is the work of sanctification in your life. This is God's will for your life. Use the, what he's teaching to evaluate yourself in order to walk in the fullness. Because if you've been given freedom in Christ, if you have no condemnation in Christ, if his will is to sanctify you and set you apart, then why in the world would you live here and complain about how miserable your life is? But that's what we do. Oh, this is so terrible. Everything's so messed up. And these people are treating me poorly. Well, yeah, welcome to the human race. I mean, it's a, it's a mess out there, right? It's a mess. Everybody knows that. But the thing is, is that every time I want this, but I think this, it doesn't add up. It's incongruent. This is why things like training in righteousness and discipleship in, in a brotherhood or a tribe or a group of people, these things are so important because what it does is it helps you align with who you've called to be and you can say, this is where I'm at right now and I accept it. Every, follow, every follower of Christ who is serious about growing their faith will want to do the work of the soul in this area because that is the place where you need the most freedom and only Jesus can bring it about. Let's stand for closing prayer. Lord Jesus, you have a plan and we want to be a part of it. Amen.